Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I'm excited to invite introduce you to my friend and colleague, Marguerite Mariscal, who is the CEO of Momofuku. And if you have not heard of Momofuku, then you need to get out more. It is a phenomenal restaurant chain, and you may be familiar with the founder's name, David Chang. So Marguerite joined uh, Momofuku in 2011 as an intern, took on design and communications for the group, and was named brand director in 2016. In 2018, she was promoted to chief of staff and creative director and ascended to CEO in 2019. So Marguerite, welcome to People First. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to our conversation and to learn a little bit more, but I want to start with your origin story. So way back when, when you were a wee girl, you're in elementary school and the teacher says, Marguerite, Marguerite, over here, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer then? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think the interesting thing is, you know, I always wanted to be in food or, or I was always interested in food. I was told by my grandfather who uh, runs a store called Zaybars on the Upper West Side, um, basically <laughs> to, to not be in food or to get as far okay. from it as humanly possible. Um, just because I, I think it's retail in general is just uh, was always a, a tough game and you're working holidays and you work long hours and the margins aren't huge and uh, so a lot of my mom and, and her siblings generation, um, they actually went off to be doctors and lawyers and, and, and really I, not all of them, but a, a good amount moved away. And then, you know, you kind of see this next generation, um, and I'm sure it has to do with kind of like the rise of food in kind of, you know, public consciousness, um, as being a lot more interested. And, and I definitely was interested in food, but I, I knew I was never going to be a chef. I, I was not. Uh, talented enough to do that. And I was also not talented enough to be uh, on the floor as uh, as any, a manager or, or server. And, you know, so I was trying to figure out what that could look like. Um, and I think it was like right around the time where restaurants started to kind of be able to market themselves in that, you know, uh, it, Twitter was new, Instagram was new. And then all of a sudden, instead of, um, instead of needing a PR firm or hiring someone to get the word out, put something in the newspapers, you started to be able to, you know, advertise, promote uh, whatever the restaurant thought was important, whatever they wanted to do. So I was kind of, I think when I graduated at the right time in the right place where they were starting to be jobs and food kind of outside of, of the core. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't know if I would have said that when I was in middle school, but I, I think, you know, it's food has always been kind of first and foremost in my family and, um, I think I was just trying to find an, an in or a way that, that would make sense for me to interact with it. Okay. I did a gasp there when you mentioned Zaybars because obviously it's a New York institution. I've been there. I know it. It's an amazing store. Delicious. Anyway, we, we won't go down that. So it sounds to me like the family relationships was both an asset and a liability in terms of your seeing behind the curtain of being in, in food, in retail, et cetera. So what role have relationships played in your success in your career to date? Sure. I mean, so I worked at Zabar's in high school. Basically, everyone does uh, in one way or another <laughs> in my family. Um, I was a cashier. Uh, and then I worked for my uncle, who uh, he has his own uh, food empire, and uh, he was running a farmer's market in Amagansett. So I was a manager there for a summer. Um, and, you know, I think what I liked about it is it really is like all hands on deck, right? Like, mm -hmm. past too small. You know, as a manager, I was restocking shelves. I was 
a cashier. I was making people uh, espresso. I was like basically running around like crazy, um, which I, I really, really enjoyed. Um, and I would say, you know, my family definitely helped me get to where I am. Uh, and I, I think, you know, when I started to look at Momofuku, um, or I was looking for kind of what am I going to do next? Um, there was an internship at Momofuku and it was billed, um, as this like all intensive, like you learn all the different aspects of the of business. Um, and I really respected the restaurant group. And at that point it was not just a restaurant group. Um, even at that point, you know, 11, 10, 11 years ago, it had you know, a food magazine. It had a TV show that Dave was putting out. It had restaurants. It really was kind of like a omni-channel uh, approach to food um, and, and kind of uh, using food as a gateway to talk about some bigger things. Um, so uh, I don't know. I think, I think you know, I always joke that it's working for Dave or working in restaurants like was, was not intimidating because I grew up around my family who are, you know, extremely... Um, particular and extremely focused on, um, you know, the best product at the best price and, and, you know, whatever you need to do to get there. And so I walked into this restaurant group and I was like, everything makes sense, right? Like how things are done, the standards in which, um, everything was, was expected to be done at. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it all, it was all kind of a journey that unintentionally got me comfortable with, with what working in a restaurant looked like at that time, uh, via, my family unintentionally preparing me for that uh, in these other roles. So it was interesting. I was talking earlier this week with Ruth Gotin, who has a new book out called The Success Factor. And she interviewed um, Nobel Prize winners, athletes, astronauts, people who we look at at the pinnacle of our career or their careers. I would look at you at the same thing. And she identified four things underpin success. One is finding something, the intrinsic motivation, something that you're passionate about. And as I listen to you talk about the food industry and the work that you're doing, that seems to be the underlying piece. But what have you discovered about yourself and your own leadership that has helped to support your journey from intern to CEO? Sure. I, in a lot of ways, I think I'm super lucky to have started as an intern um, or just started at any aspect of the business that's not being the CEO. I, I can't even imagine what it would be to walk in and just the institutional knowledge, the experience, you know, the everyone's roles and being able to drill down and understand that, you know, as it shapes, you know, what's working, what's not, what does the future look like? Um, and so I was extremely lucky to have this kind of like 10 year journey, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I am now, um, and to kind of experience multiple facets of the business and be empathetic, I think, to each role and what it needs and where its challenges are and, and also how it's evolved for better or for worse over a period of time. Um, and so I, I think for me, um, being able to be extremely, um, not just empathetic, but I think also, um, kind of making sure that we're like, as we grow, not losing track of the things that made us successful in the first place, and I don't know if I would have that same lens if I didn't have the relationships mm -hmm. with individuals throughout my time. I mean, we're also lucky that Eugene, the manager of Noodle Bar, has been with us for, I think, 16 years. So yeah. I'm, I'm you know, not the, the longest tenured employee. There are people that have been along this journey and, and have this understanding of how things were, what's gotten better, what's gotten worse, and 
you know, kind of tapping into, I think, a lot of those individuals as well to kind of figure out um, what the future can look like and, and what do we leave behind and what do we, you know, take moving forward. Yeah. So it's interesting to me, you talked there about the empathy being a, a key skill and the ability to experience different parts of the business and listen to the wisdom of people like Eugene. Love Eugene. Hi. <laughs> um, what are some of the leadership lessons you've had to learn the hard way in those 10 years? Ooh, um, I think that the, the biggest thing, you know, and a lot of this relates back to the past, uh, you know, two years in the pandemic, um, I think when, you know, things are good, you know, you're basically trying to, you know, we, we joke about, it's like, you're, you always want to be right. I think everyone <laughs> has a general notion that everyone wants to be right all the time. And, you know, I think we used to think that was possible, you know, or maybe I was young enough to think that was possible at a certain point. <laughs> and I think, especially over the past years, we've almost had to recalibrate and the answer is not, um, the answer is not being right all the time. The answer is just, you know, trying to make more right decisions than wrong and understanding that you're not going to make everyone happy, but you have to index for, you know, what is the demographic that you're trying to make happy? And if that's your employees, that's your employees. And you have to focus on that as opposed to, mm-hmm. um, you know, what someone's saying on Twitter or what this article says. And I think for us, you know, we're used to very luckily having critical acclaim over the years and over the past two years, it's been, you know, really trying to make decisions internally for our teams. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be happy. That doesn't mean that external forces are going to be happy. Um, and so I think it was really hard for myself and, and the teams to get comfortable with the fact that for every nine, you know, ten pe- people that you make happy, you're going to get dissent. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make it wrong. That doesn't make it not the right decision at the time to move forward. Um and so I think we all had to kind of recalibrate uh, expectations when you're dealing with a crisis of how to move forward um, and, and really be uncomfortable in that um, yeah. or get comfortable with that, um, which, you know, we, we luckily as a company have not always had to, to kind of confront on a, on a daily basis. So we've been living with it on a daily basis. If we use the pandemic as a specific example, it was the ultimate leadership crucible um, for any business or any individual in terms of t- turning the world upside down. But certainly in the restaurant and the hospitality industry, it turned it upside down, gave it a good shake, and then kicked it down the road. <laughs> I mean, maybe stamped on it a little bit too. So as you look back on 2020 in the last two years, what are some of the learnings along the way? And I- I'm curious how you've Manage to maintain a sense of team when everybody's sent home and you're in a business that needs people in the office, i.e. the restaurant, in order to deliver anything. So what happens when the world says, sorry, you can't? Yeah, um, I think, you know, something that was really huge for us, and I can give an example, was especially as anything related to being physically in the stores that the teams that were in the stores were the ones driving the conversation around comfort with going back to work mm-hmm. as well as the conditions that, that they would be in. So we had, uh, with the help of our amazing uh, ops team, had uh, all of our general managers and exec chefs basically on a task force to create what is the new normal of operating a restaurant in a pandemic. And mm-hmm. You know, how do we handle food deliveries that are coming in? How do we handle, um, you know, gloves, masks? Like, what are the policies around, um, 
you know, a family meal, which is a very standard thing in restaurants where the whole staff eats together all of a sudden in the pandemic, that's not something that mm -hmm. was, uh, was comfortable for everyone. So it's how are we going to rethink what family meal looks like so that people are still getting, you know, sustenance at their shift, but we're avoiding all the things that, that we need to avoid. So we really had, um, the, the general managers and exec chefs act as kind of like owners in that because, you know, if I say this is how it should go, this is this is what it should look like, I'm not the one on a daily basis that has to be mm -hmm. dealing with those conditions and same with how we interact with guests. So that was very much um, put uh, to them to figure out what made them comfortable. And on top of that, I think, you know, so that was kind of the immediate response. Um, I think as time has gone on and we've thought about how are you retaining people? Because I think mm -hmm. a lot of people that very rightly are burned out, very rightly um, are moving to other professions that, you know, as restaurant hours and, and capacities and everything go back to a hundred percent, you know, those are not easy hours. They're not easy jobs. And I think we're seeing a lot of people move to, uh, you know, maybe more standard operating hours um, uh, in, in careers. And so, you know, I think for us, the big push has been how do we maintain people and how do we grow people um, and how do we prevent, you know, people from jumping to the next uh, ship. And so we've really tried to relook at our benefits, not just, um, you know, for an employee, but also employee life cycle. And how are we continuing to upskill employees given, uh, you know, maybe we're not going to open as many restaurants as we were in 2019, 2020 before the pandemic. That's going to slow down. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the growth opportunities for individuals should change. So things like uh, stipends for education, uh, also things like sabbaticals to let mm -hmm. people, we are very fortunate to have employees that have been with us for five years, 10 years. And what are the natural breaks in that? If you're going to be with us for 10 years, there should be kind of like a give back in terms of time and, and restorative um, you know, energy. Um, and so that's, you know, we're very fortunate to have employees that can take advantage of that. Um, and then I think the other piece of it, which is, you know, where you come in is also in kind of, uh, education and coaching around leadership, because, you know, something that I think we've always been super interested in is, you know, Dave Chang's Dave Chang, and he's amazing, but Dave Chang's not the guy who's in your mm -hmm. restaurant every single day, he's not the reason you're coming to work every day. Yeah. And so the people that are those people are your executive chef. It's your general manager. It is your manager. It is your team. Uh, it's the people you interact with from the office on a, on a daily basis. That's your actual team. And yeah. you have to make sure that those individuals have the skills necessary to do their job. And also then kind of as a trickle down, create an environment for their staff that um, is, is where we want to be um, in the end. So um, I think that, you know, was an incredible experience for me to see. We did a manager's essential program. Um, and, you know, it, I don't know, the graduation that we did, I thought was just oh. so great. Um, and that we had, uh, you, you had everyone do, um, like before and after of what they thought leadership uh, or management was before and after. And it was unbelievable to see, you know, you had drastically different photos and examples, but a lot of the same themes across everyone. Um, and so much of it to me was pandemic related in that everyone basically said, I used to think there was one way of doing things, or I used to think being a leader was knowing the right answer. And now I understand that it's really about um, being uh, kind of uh, uh, reactive to what's happening mm -hmm. 
empathetic and and I don't, you know, getting the right answers to make the right decision as opposed to knowing it intrinsically. Um, and I, I obviously, I've spent a lot of time with uh, in executive coaching and, and, you know, told that repeatedly uh, that, you know, but I think for a lot of our, our managers, it was the first time hearing a lot of those things. And yeah. it makes an impact long term past their time at Molofuku, right? Just in them as leaders, managers moving forward. So, um Long answer, but that's... Uh, well, yeah. And it was an honour to be able to partner with you and Melanie and the team to design that programme and facilitate it. As you know, it's turned me into a passionate Momo fangirl and I've been on the online pantry and ordered resources and cooked. I was cooking uh, ramen only this week. Um, and what, uh, what stood out for me as we went through that programme was, A, having you there, because often where we have leaders and it's for first-line supervisors, et cetera, whatever... Um, we often hear, well, when are they going to go through it? Are our bosses going to go through it? So I think one of the powerful messages was you role modeling that leadership is a journey. And although you may be the CEO, there's benefit for you being there. And in the room, the virtual room, we had corporate office staff, we had front of house, we had back of house from different stores and people who may not have ever met in three dimensions but to watch over the life cycle of the program, them come together. And I think from the graduation, one of the messages and themes that stood out for me was the, I thought I was on my own and it was just me, that I was broken or I didn't know. Now I understand it's a we and I have others that I can reach out to for advice and guidance. It builds that sense of community. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's so true. That was definitely one of the takeaways. Um, and, you know, I think, Another big piece is also just having a common language, right? Mm -hmm. like everyone understanding um, that, you know, exactly as you said, we're all in it together. And also that there's no one person who does have all the answers, right? Like I'm as clueless in a lot of situations as the next person. And all we can do is really try to like work together to find out the best possible solution and, and move forward. And and I think, you know, um, something Marshall Goldsmith is always saying, it's, uh, uh, executive coach is just, um, you know, it's your job. Your, it's your job to make the decisions. It's not your job to be right. It's not your job to be like mm -hmm. basically making decisions because that's, you know, your, what your job is to do as a leader, as a manager, um, and make the best possible decision you can given the information. And so, uh, I think in these times, just given, you know, what's the right answer today could be the wrong answer tomorrow with changing regulations around, um, you know, mask policies, yeah. uh, you know, COVID rates in your respective city, it really does require this kind of everyone being on the same team and moving forward and trying to make the best uh, uh, decision for our teams and our employees. And that, that's basically it. So um, I, I think that that's like, there's almost like a comfort in knowing that uh, and that you're not missing the point. You're not missing this information you're supposed to have we're all just kind of trying to, to move forward in, in the best possible way. Um, so how do you role model that courage and vulnerability to make a decision without what might feel like without full information because information is changing so fast, but also the vulnerability of I don't know, come, it may go wrong. How do you role model that and therefore build that capability within the team? Yeah, Um I don't know. Dave always, Dave Chang always talks about um, like that scene in Eight Mile where 
uh, he basically, Eminem goes and he basically calls out like everything that the other person was going to make fun of him about and mm-hmm. basically like, disarmed his, uh, his, his opponent. And I think something about Fuku we talk about a lot is, you know, being your own harshest critic. And the more that you can kind of put forward, what are the flaws in this plan? Why might this not work? You know, what, what are the other things that we thought about? Um, the more that you also give permission to others to, mm-hmm. you know, name those things as well, right? Or, you know, to say, hey, keep me honest, you know, if this isn't working, tell us. Um, and and I think, you know, during the pandemic, we started um, an email address that's still active, which is just like marguerite at momofuku.com, because the idea was we had all these hourly employees, um, a good number of who were let go during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and, you know, and that but that didn't mean we were done communicating with them, right? It was, you know, obviously there's a lot of questions, there's unemployment, there's, uh, we did a charity, we started a, a, a nonprofit charity to help try to raise funds. Mm-hmm. And so we were in kind of constant communication, um, but you know, we wanted to make sure there was a mechanism where it wasn't just information going out, but there was also the ability for people to send information back like, hey, I don't think this works or, you know, I haven't gotten an answer on this or have you thought about that? Um, And so it was like a really useful exercise to be able to um, kind of like see, you know, what was the temperature, right? And that along with like anonymous surveys. But I think the more that you can do to kind of name the potential, you know, pitfalls, the more that people are not going to hesitate to point them out if they get there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that's always been very, um, core to what we do. And, you know, we always talk about running, uh, uh, questions through a crucible. So, or, or sorry, like not a question, but rate running, um, any kind of potential solution through a crucible, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, yes, that would work, but what are the reasons it won't? Or, you know, have we talked to, you know, Eugene, you know, would he have a different opinion or, you know, and, and I think trying to do all that work up front so that, as things arise, you know, there's, there's an understanding as to where things are going to go wrong. Um, so I don't know, hopefully that, uh, can help model behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, so that when they're going through the same process, a they're with their teams more open about what will or will not work, um, as well as being honest with me when things inevitably don't turn out the way that you want them to. All right. So as you look to the future in 2022 and 23 and beyond, how are you seeing the industry changing and what are you having to do? You have to bring the dog on camera. Uh, What's the name? What, what dog do we have down there? Um, Carmela. And Carmel. she's uh, extremely codependent. Uh, That's to- fine. She has something to share. Yeah. Um, so how do you see the industry training and what is the Momofuku group of companies doing to remain competitive? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think everything along education that we talked about, um, I would say on top of that, you know, I think what we're trying to do is, and, and this is something, so so labor was an issue pre-pandemic. It's not a pandemic-related issue. Um, and I think we've always kind of had the mentality where if you can train people for what you need them to do, that's the best case scenario, mm-hmm. skill employees. And so, you know, if someone comes in as a prep cook, what's that pathway to get them up to being a line cook, uh, you know, a sous chef, eventually an executive chef. And not that that's what everyone wants, but if that is what someone wants, you know, we should be there to mm-hmm. help them because that solves our problem in terms of retention growth. And that solves, you know, for someone leaving better than, than they came in terms of job preparedness. So 
we're doing uh, a lot around kind of positional training. Um, mm-hmm. And then as well as like, I think something that we've always been really proud of is the tenure of some of our employees. Um, so when we relooked at our benefits, we thought, you know, how do we then like, if that's our end goal, that's what we want. How do you uh, make your benefits reflect that? So I mentioned the sabbatical, but also things like hourly employees having their tenure equate to more PTO, have it equate to more mm-hmm. uh, benefits so that, you know, if you've been with us for three years and you're looking for your next job, there's a reason you might pause and say, well, you know, things get even better for me here as opposed to, to going elsewhere. So that was a big thing for us. And, and then really, I think like the hardest thing, and I think this is true for every industry right now, it's a very much a moving target, right? Like what was competitive a year ago might yeah. be competitive today. And, you know, what we're trying to do. So we have both a restaurant group and then we started during the pandemic, a, a consumer packaged good, uh, like home cooking products um, brand. And it's been interesting because you look at the benefits that something like a home cooking's product has, right? Where it's, you work remote, you know, it's, it's way more, uh, uh, you know, uh, unlimited vacation days. I don't know, you know, the things you would maybe equate more with like a tech company. Um, and then you have restaurants. And I think what we're trying to do is like, as we kind of learn what's going on in this other space, can we apply any of these things universally to both groups, right? Because hospitality has always lagged other industries in terms of benefits, you know, all of these things. So, you know, something that we're rolling out is a a 16 week parental leave, which, you know, is is maybe more standard in um, other industries, but in hospitality has just been so far removed. There's a lot of more QSR, uh, so like quick service restaurants that are doing things like that, like Sweet Green. But when you look at full service sit down mm-hmm. restaurants, that's where you're like, you know, and, and a lot of it's because a lot of them are one off, two off smaller groups, right? That don't have the backing to yeah. provide, you know, a lot of these things. And so for us, you know, when you talk about plans for 2023, 2024, like I think we realized like five years ago, like scale's not bad. Scale is, mm-hmm. I, I think scale's bad when you're, you view yourself as being this bespoke, you know, uh, uh, specific restaurant group. And I think that's great. And I think we, we always will be, but there's a reason that Google can offer what Google offers. Yes. And so I think what we're trying to find is the balance of, we need to grow. We need to be like growth equals being able to provide more. And so whether that's via CPG restaurant growth, um, we want to make sure that we're continuing to be able to offer more because, you know, in a good way, that's the trend right now, right? Like it's, it's benefits are only increasing. Um, things are, are for, for hourly workers, uh, and et cetera, is getting better. And mm-hmm. so how do we continue to stay current and stay up to date, um, on all of that? So that's been a big push for our, our teams. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it's exciting. We can now love it. the future in a way that, uh, you know, I think the past two years have been very focused on. Well, I applaud you for the ongoing investment in the people, like you said, the career development, whether it's helping accelerate their career within Momo or setting them up for success for a career elsewhere, they're leaving better than when they arrived. That means there's a good story and that therefore a ready um, line of talent wanting to join to get a piece of that. And then things like the parental leave, that is from somebody coming from Europe. I applaud you. It's about, I'm glad you're leading the way. So thank you for that. You're extremely aware of how far the U.S. trails yeah. basically everywhere else in, in those categories. Yeah. So as we come to the end of our time together, I'm just curious, if you could talk to your younger self, 
it's kind of a double-barreled question. What's the one piece of leadership advice that you wish you'd learned sooner, aka you also wish others would learn sooner? Sure. Yeah, I, I think for sure, um, I don't know, it's a joke, but it's like Murphy's Law is is real, and but it's also okay. Like the fact that everything will go wrong, but that's not a bad thing. And that I, I really think for us as a group, for me as an individual, getting through the last two years has made basically any problem anyone presents me, okay. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, like we'll figure it out, right? It's like, we figured out this, we figured out that, like this might seem burning and horrible and, and, and you know, ending everything. But if we made it past all these other pieces, we'll collectively make it past this. And I think it has taken my overall, you know, in, okay, in March, April, May, June, you know, I, my anxiety was, was through the roof. But I think since then, it's given me perspective on, you know, something that I might have perceived as being, you know, like off the charts is now, you know, a little murmur compared to uh, what we've gone through. So um, I think you need, it's like with time and with experience, you have enough data points to know what's manageable and what you'll get through. Um, and I think as like a younger leader, you know, everything felt like on fire and everything was horrible and everything wouldn't be okay. Um, and I think I've now seen enough to know, you know, even if it seems that way in the moment, you know, history shows that you yeah. get through it, it is okay. And, uh, and approaching it from that angle, um, you know, usually also has better results as well. So that's been my, my takeaway from, from the past few years. Well, Margaret, thank you for sharing your leadership journey today on People First. I wish you and the whole team at Momo ongoing success. And I look forward to my next trip to New York and uh, continuing to savor the delights. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.